year they'd go up to the temple, there's this thing they would um, chant. Hopefully, it'll appear on the screen in front of you. If you could just read the yellow bit, and then we'll get into it. I'll read the white bit. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Glory is one of those religious words. And you only really hear it in church. Well, no, occasionally you hear it elsewhere, but it's not a word that we use a lot. So how's your year going so far? Let's give it a turn to somebody next to you. A, glorious. B, great. C, not so good. D, ho-hum. And E, and I stole this from the Queen, so I think I'm allowed to say it, Annis Horribilis. Do you remember she had a year that she described Annis Horribilis and took me a while to figure out that it wasn't rude? Um, so, <laughs> there's your chance. Someone next to you, how's your year going? All right, let's try this. Is there anything that you would describe as having been glorious? Has anybody had anything they thought that was just glorious? Yep. What was that? Moving to Christchurch has been glorious. We are glad you warm our hearts. And, and the weather out there needs to be warmed. What else? Absolutely. Grandparents with grandkids is glorious. It really is. What else? Yep. Finally driving the old Dunstan Road and the Never Road and didn't break down? Oh, well, that's pretty impressive. Yep. What else? Slightly tricky for us Kiwis. We don't like to boast about this stuff, do we? Different culture would be up there. Going, yep. Glorious. I... I just think it's tricky to describe what is glorious, but we do use the word glorious in life. Some things we say, they're great. Well, it's difficult now, Trump. They're great. They're, we say they're magnificent. They're, so I want to give you an example of something that might be glorious. It's a clip from an older movie that comes to mind for me. It's the movie Babe. Has anyone here not seen Babe? If you haven't seen it, you, this is towards the end. Okay, and I don't think it spoils it. It's still worth watching. Um, in the movie, briefly speaking, there's a pig who takes on the job of being a sheepdog. It's an unlikely, it's a fairy tale movie. It's not trying to be realistic. Um, and this is from the end. And um, I'll see if you can see why I think it's glorious. And hopefully the sound will come through. It takes a while for the sound to kick in, so don't worry.
So this is a moment when the crowd goes absolutely crazy because they've seen something that is one of a kind. It is astonishing, it is magnificent, it is glorious. And so they stand and applaud, that's what we do when something's fantastic, throw their hats in the air, which has got increasingly harder because less of us wear hats. Um, and the judges hold up scorecards of 100 out of 100, and the wife is in tears because something glorious has happened. That scene from that movie is replayed in pretty much every sporting movie there is. You know, the build-up, the build-up, and finally, and there's some where they, they, they pull the rug from under you um, at the last moment, but mostly there's that moment when the crowd just goes crazy because you won and it's glorious. And actually, glorious comes up for sports. Remember the last Rugby World Cup? Glorious is when you win. It's usually not the word you use when you don't. If... Um, New Zealand, against the odds, wins the last two semi-final games in the cricket. Would that be glorious? <laughs> There's some other ways. Okay. Um, it's not only found in sports. Um, actually, Morgan referred to it. If you talk to a petrol head, eventually there's that moment when they'll take you to the car and they'll pop the boot. And they'll stand in front of this... Um, this thing full of chrome and injected superpowers metal, and they'll glory in it. You know, you don't have to necessarily get it. I, I don't, really. But they'll wax lyrical about the carburetors, if they have carburetors, the fuel injectors, or the you know, turbocharger, or whatever it is, and, and it will all look good, and they will glory in it. If you run a, um, one, you know those races where they run around the track? If you run a, a one and you win, they often let you then run round the whole track one more time because it's your moment to glory in it, to actually revel it, to savour it. Um, for a number of us, it's found at the top of a mountain. It's glorious. You get an A-plus in your essay, it's glorious. You got the job, glorious. We humans recognise glory and we want to celebrate it. Top of a mountain, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. The Bible writes as if creation is giving glory to God all the time, and we may or may not notice that. So, why am I talking about this? Well, last week I went to a conference, it was the Baptist um, uh, lead conference. It was remarkably like our, one of our AGMs, or in May Mission Month, we all sat around tables. There were lots of voices. There was a whole range of voices of young and old and different genders and races represented, which was really cool. When they read scripture, they didn't only read it in English. They read it in English, they read it in Tereo, and they would read it in another language as well. And there was a series of discussions, and one of the discussions was about whether or not the Baptist churches of New Zealand should have a missional vision statement. Okay? And there were people throwing around that kind of stuff. Um, opinions were varied, which is generally a marker of the Baptist way of doing things. People get a voice, and you're okay to express it. 
And lots of cool ideas were talked about. And you know, like, I, I'm a sucker for a good vision statement. I'm, you know, if it's a, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not really into taking, de- uh, uh, taking New Zealand for Jesus, but I quite liked uh, um, loving people, uh, sorry, loving Jesus, loving people, bringing the two together. That's not bad. You know, there, there's nice ones out there. We've got what partnering with Jesus in, uh, in a broken world is one of our um, statements. In the middle of the discussion, somebody said something that hit me hard, and this whole message is prompted by that. We'd been talking for a while, there'd been lots of voices, good ideas, bad ideas, a range. And then someone said, oh, they didn't really want to comment on what had been said, but they said they just noticed there were some things, a couple of things we weren't saying. And oh, that's interesting. And then they referenced, they said, you know, for a long time there's been a bit of a summary of what it is to be a human um, that Christians came up with. And we didn't use either of the words that it uses. He was, um, the guy was referencing a pretty famous um, confession called the Westminster Confession. A Baptist aren't big into the stuff, but um, uh, it was written in 1646 and then adapted, and it had a pretty um, simple statement coming from a less gender-aware time. And, uh, oh, sorry, I skip all that. Here it is. Here's the, the intro to it. And its question was, what is the chief end of man? For man, think people. They didn't think, um, they were very, uh, their language wasn't interested in gender differences. Anyone know the answer to this? It is, essentially, what are we here for? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, the reason that hit me is that in our vision statements in general, they're all about us, what we're going to do. They're about us storming the trenches. They're about us, they're focused, understandable, because we want to know what we're here for, right? And we want to feel good because we've got stuff to do, and we feel good about doing stuff. And if if no one does stuff, then stuff doesn't get done. And we want to be known as the people that get stuff done. So we grab these great, inspiring, let's storm the hills statements But this says something different. In fact, if I say the first half of this to glorify God, do you know what happens in my own head? I think and make him known. I'm putting together there's a famous Baptist thing to know God and make him known. Heard that? I turn it into a task. I make it a thing to do because I can tick it off. And I was really struck by it. That in our language, all of the vision statements, they were all about us and none of them talked about just giving glory to God, recognizing what God is doing. That's not so hard, is it? That's possible. Being grateful for what God is doing. And none of them talked about enjoying him forever. And I shouldn't be surprised. um, When people write about our culture today, a number of people say the main um, metaphor, the main story for our culture is that of machinery. This is what we do in business. We make a factory, and you have this machinery to get an end product. We, um, we suddenly start talking about people. How's this? Ever called someone dysfunctional? Ever heard that word used? That means they have a function and it's not working, right? That is the language you use to describe machinery. My toaster is no longer functional. But we're not toasters. So our main metaphor... <laughs> Bad analogy? Our main metaphor that we use in our culture to describe organizations tends to be that of machinery. And this is not the language of machinery. 
This is the language of family. This is the language of people to glorify God and enjoy God forever. So I just want to take a few minutes to reflect on glory. And while I do, I'd like you to be thinking about what is there in your life that's glorious? Where is there moments when you might have seen this and just notice it? To glorify God and enjoy God forever. In the Old Testament, glory has a kind of, is, is a weight or splendor. So when it talks about filling the temple or um, the glory of God being like a cloud or consuming, there's, there's, some, there's heavier than we could carry. Not a human thing. And so the human response to glory typically is to fall on your knees. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell down. And we know that when people encounter angels, they often fall to their knees, and what do they say? The angel then says, don't be afraid, because we're scared of it, because it's bigger than us. Um, I find weight interesting, um, because I recently have been reflecting on weight and how important it is that God carries the weight of the gospel. And how sometimes in our language we miss that. In the miracles, in the Gospels, they're used as, they're described as ways that Jesus revealed his glory. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Someone is healed, that's glorious. Calming a storm, that's glorious. In fact, if you, um, if you wander through the, the declaration Jesus makes in the synagogue where he talks about the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, all of those things are glorious if you need them. If you are blind and you come to see again, that's glorious. If you are a prisoner and you are set free, that's glorious. Glory, in fact, in the Old Testament, glory of God is often associated with God's rescuing his people. The, the fact that the Israelites get led out of slavery often referred to this is the, revealing the glory of God. Glory and saving go hand in hand. The interesting thing with Jesus who reveals God's glory is that unlike the other kind of glories, we don't necessarily all fall to our knees. People didn't rush up to Jesus all the time and fall on their knees going, oh, you're the best thing ever, because he was human. The word became flesh, made his dwelling place amongst us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You might not instantly fall on your knees when you met Jesus. If you were healed, probably you would. If you saw him walking on water, still a storm, yep. It's a little bit different because generally when there's an encounter with God's glory, it's instant. But Jesus has to live it out, which we have to as well. How do we give glory to God? How do we glorify God and enjoy God forever? What would that look like? Maybe a little less task-oriented than our default. I um, read, there's a psalm that talks about how kings glory in the size of their kingdom. And I had a little cynical laugh for myself about ministers. They like to glory in a bigger and growing church. But 
No, the thing about glory is it's going to God. And probably that's the deceptive thing. We all want to feel good about ourselves. I want to feel good about myself. So we're looking for things we can glory in. But recognizing God's place in this. How do we glorify God and enjoy God forever? Well, we'd have to address sin, wouldn't we? Sin and brokenness. And you know, the famous line about sin in Romans 3 is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans, Paul reckons sinning, falling short of the glory of God, maybe stepping out of the flow of the glory of God if, if creation is giving glory to God. Maybe it's being out of step with God. Maybe there's a glorious choice and we choose not to make it. And maybe that's most obvious because sometimes, I'd like to make this all wonderful for you, but actually the cost of giving glory to God and not to me can be quite high. That's what you see with Jesus with the temptations in the desert. The devil says, mate, you bow down and worship me and I will give all the power and splendor to you. And Jesus says, nah. He says it again, I think, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the pathway, the pathway of suffering and death is breathing over his shoulder. And this is how God is going to address this brokenness. And Jesus prays in Luke twenty-two forty-two, and says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Now, just going to dwell on that for a moment. Then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. There's a sense that Jesus, actually, is there some other way? Because this is going to be pretty hard. You know, the cost is really high here. And that interesting phrase, yet not my will, but yours be done, suggests that actually Jesus, can we just this way? We've got right up to this point, but this is going to be awful. So I don't want to pretend that glorifying God will always be great or that you'll always be happy. To glorify God like Jesus is to keep acknowledging God has things God wants to do and to be willing to notice and acknowledge what God is doing. I think in times gone past we were probably a little bit better at this. I don't know. Um, I was at a power Baptist. I, we have, ministers have this sort of meeting to compare notes and uh, on the wall was this it's a brass rubbing or a rubbing of the capstone from the first to power baptist and can you see what it says to the glory of god laid by the president of the baptist union 1950 i can't remember three yep we used to put on our buildings this is built for the glory of god of course that was easy to say is it we do get a bit confused at times between the glory of us and the glory of God, especially when one path has suffering involved. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. So... In, uh, when you read through different translations and it comes to the language of glory, they talk about bravo and standing ovations. They talk about the ways we express appreciation. 
Um, and in more enthusiastic Pentecostal churches, they'll do that. Let's give a clap offering to God. Okay? Anyone been part of that? I have. I've actually, honestly, I've never quite fully understood it, but, you know, why not? Um, let's, uh, ways to express appreciation, but I think as Kiwis, it's a bit tricky. I'm going to show you the second clip from that Babe movie. It's, it's my, my own personal vision um, on dying when I encounter Jesus. Um, I hope for something a little bit like this. Um, so just watch this. There's a recognition of glory in here, but a bit different to the standing ovation. It should be sound. No sound? Hang on, is that clip one? Oh, no, wrong clip. Okay, we're just going to pause for a moment. Can you, um, Darian... Have you got babe number two up there? Can you play that for us? Swap back and over. <laughs> Not a babe. <laughs> and so it was that in all the celebration, in all the hubbub of noise and excitement, there were two figures who stood silent and still side by side. <laughs> and though every single human in the stands or in the commentary boxes was at a complete loss for words, the man who in his life had uttered fewer words than any of them knew exactly what to say. That'll do, Pig. That'll do. The point of the clip for me is that you don't have to be American, overly enthusiastic to, for this, for you to recognize glory. Actually, that'll do is just fine. Just to notice, to notice and acknowledge. I personally think that's why there's this bit of a stream going on in Christian spirituality about slowing down and stopping. Just noticing what is going on in your life. Because we have so much stuff coming at us. And you know, if there's too much, we don't notice it. If you ever watched, if you binge watch a, a, a series, you don't savor it at all. You just kind of move on to the, You kind of miss it because you're waiting for the next thing. There's this thing about acknowledging. I reckon. So here's some, some things I think that would be helpful. If we were to seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, well, the first would be noticing what God is doing, acknowledging, saying, thanks, God. It's lovely to see you doing that. Now, that's a little bit why in family time we go, is there anything to celebrate? We don't want to slip past unnoticed, even though not everybody wants to share. There's a bit of relaxing in this. Glory is something that God does and that we're called to. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Sorry, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you've suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You're called to this thing called glory. You didn't 
It's not all about you. It's something God is doing in 1 Thessalonians, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. It's a destination. Think that great, um, that great crowd throwing their hats in the air, the, um, the wife crying, <laughs> um, or if you like, that'll do, pig, if you're more understated. Relax. This isn't necessarily about us being the best things ever. There's a sense in the world of machinery to think if we just add this, 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 and this, then it'll all be right. God, I think, has a slightly different view. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. There's this constant voice in Scripture that suggests that you might have what you need. Uh, I don't know what that looks like if you've got absolutely no food and you're on the bones of your bum. Uh, maybe we have what you need. Maybe we've individualized it. But this voice that says you have enough and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. Which is not to say that it's, there aren't tasks. There are clearly tasks to do. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We just hope that the glory will go to who? Well, actually, come on, we want some to go to us. We do. But actually, it's lovely the way um, when we talked about David last week, this sort of sense of, yeah, I fought the lion and, and the bear and killed it. And, and then in the next sentence, he would say, God rescued me. There's kind of this both end. It's not that you can't do good. It's just that actually, it's also God doing it through you as well. So Carol's got an award for community stuff, I know, and you're embarrassed about me mentioning it. And that's because actually it's taken a lot of sweat and effort from Carol. And God's also been in it with her and her team. It's a both and rather than an either or. And yes, God does seem really interested in our actions serving the poor, loosing the chains of injustice, sharing our food. So it's kind of earthy in this mix. It's not like we have nothing to do. But to glorify God and enjoy him forever kind of says, if all is happening for you as you are caning yourself into a task, trying to make it done and make it done and make it done and, and feeling bad about it all the time, it doesn't sound quite right, does it? It doesn't quite fit. And Paul says when there's a really tricky ethical dilemma and the church he's writing to is split. This way, that way, and there's big fights about it. Paul says, well, well, eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Look again and say, who benefits out of this? I have to say, um, when I was at college, um, people talked about churches, um, young enthusiastics. I, actually, I spoke um, at Laidlaw last week and these lovely, young, enthusiastic um, guys who just want the church to be fantastic. And they say all these things, harsh things about the church. And actually, we can say some harsh things about the church because we're full of sinners. What they miss um, from having worked in churches for quite a number of years now is that most of the people in the church, most of the people here, you're here because you're following Jesus. That's why you're here. You're not here because this is the best thing ever to do on a Sunday morning. It'd be nice if it was, but that's not why you're here. And it probably isn't. 
You're here because you're caught into something and it gets reflected in your lives. Because you make little decisions to give to others so that God might have the glory rather than just yourself. Because you keep making that decision to follow Jesus has some denial of yourself and some seeking the benefit of others. That's what's got you going. And uh, you don't see it on a Sunday so much. You don't see it displayed up front and maybe most of these things are happen quietly, but they happen. And I think we do it for the glory of God. And hence there is this thing where Paul talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That there might be more than this. That there might be a flow going somehow to God through our lives, through our relationships together. And the last bit to say for glory would be, I think we have to, at the minimum, accept the possibility of change. Because when Paul writes about this, he says, all we who with unveiled unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image forever. Increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, here's my little summary. If we were here to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Well, there'd be a bit of relax. Notice it. Thank God whenever you see it. It's okay. It'd be helpful for us to not have made ourselves slaves, to know that we have enough, we have work to do, it matters the way we do it to seek to serve the poor, to recognize that Christ is in us and changing us. Or maybe that would lead us from glory to glory with a bit of stumbling in the mix. (coughs) Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty He is the king of glory. I suspect that our lives are a bit more glorious than we recognize. I think when you make little decisions that aren't about you building your kingdom, but are about trying to see God's kingdom come, I think in those times we are kind of glorious, but the glory goes to God. I see it lived out here. I am jealous to live it out for myself. I don't know how you show it to the public. I don't even know if you do. I just know that some of that for us invites us to relax, enjoy being in God's presence and in each other's presence, laugh a bit. I really wanted to find a great joke But every joke I could come up with was a dad joke. (laughs) And I wanted to find a great joke because there's something in the laughter itself. It's just not taking ourselves all so seriously, but recognizing the joy of being alive and that the good stuff goes to God. I'd like to pray, and then we're going to, as we often do, we're going to sing a few songs, and I'd like to invite you to keep thinking about what has there been that is glorious in your life. 
And if that's too big, just look for the things that are good that you might go, that's good. Because there are times when actually, you know, you go to the bank to look for the glorious and it's not there. And it's a strong word. Uh, God You want us to be free, and we're not very good at it. We will make for ourselves taskmasters that are harsh. And we live in a world that's gifting us lots of taskmasters, lots of expectation, lots of you should be this and do that, and it washes over into your people, and we can become slaves. You have given us this first life, the one where we get to breathe and live, and then many of us you have given a second life. You have gifted us with your spirit and release. And we want to live that well, to give glory to you that your kingdom comes. And we want to enjoy the good and not let it flip past us without noticing. Slow us down, nudge us. Give us the gift of some uncluttered time and your presence. For your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen.